I came into the church and sat down. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I thought I should tell this. This is too cool. I have a little five-year-old granddaughter. I have a lot of them, but I have this one little five-year-old that I have brought to, to uh, the word church a couple of times. Really, really, really blonde, fair. You might have noticed her. She chatters steady. Um, her parents went to celebrate their anniversary to Ottawa from Saturday to Thursday, Thursday early, early morning, and uh, left me in charge in Bonneville with Cooper. Cooper is very, very active, very chatty. Jana, my daughter, put her in soccer camp at the Baptist Church, said, Mom, maybe that will play her out, <laughs> and you might get some sleep because, yeah, she's, she's active. Anyway, um, soccer camp at the Baptist Church. I was praying more for Cooper's, Cooper's uh, uh, salvation than the soccer. And anyway, uh, we get to the Baptist Church, and certainly that's what happens is they play... They have some skills, then they go into the church, they have a uh, snack, and then they have uh, a Bible study. And the whole Bible study this week was a salvation message. Cooper has a real, um, a real desire for God. She has a real interest in, in the Bible. I have an action Bible, and she'll pick that for me to read, read to her for story time. Anyway, it's Wednesday night, and um, we're in the church having snack, and it starts to storm, and it's really storming. Her parents are in the air. I'm not, I don't often get worried, but I, I, it just hit me. Jana and Dale are in the air, and here comes Cooper running to me. She had looked out the window, and she just came flying. Grandma, Grandma, Mom and Daddy are up in the air. I'm so scared. I'm so scared, and she was crying. I'm so scared the plane will crash. I'm so scared lightning will hit. What are those things? Those Wings? Yeah, wings. I'm so scared lightning's going to hit one of those wings. Well, yeah, and she just was sick. So I prayed with her on my lap. She was sitting on my lap. And I knew that hadn't cut it. And there was a, a wonderful young man who had three children in soccer camp, and he was heading up the whole soccer. Uh, the, the, sorry, lost my words. The, the soccer part of the whole deal. So just a sweetheart. And I said to him, James, would you do me a favor? Would you play with Jan pray with Jana? Our, uh, Cooper because her parents are in the air and she's just terrified and she's very perceptive and it really bothered me when she got scared and so James prayed with us and all the way home she cried the rain was just pouring I think you guys got it here it was it, she she cried and cried and then we we got into the house and we went up to to my room the guest room and she was going to sleep with me and and she's just looking out the window and and uh, when I, I went out of the room and I came back and I heard her praying and she was praying like I've heard nobody pray. She was crying out to God. And I heard her say, please don't ever let them go on another dangerous trip without me. <laughs> like going to Ottawa is dangerous, but I guess it was, it was that day. And, she, uh, and then I heard her say, please, God, just tell me if the plane has taken off. Please, just tell me if the plane has taken off. Just tell me. Please, please tell me. And it was just, and I thought how, I was, I was a little worried because I thought, how is God going to tell her that the plane has taken off? You know, and she's, and, but how could he not look at that little girl with such faith in her heart and tears in her eyes for her mom and dad's safety? And so after a while, we, she laid down on the bed beside me and we we're going to read a story. And all of a sudden she says to me, Grandma, I'm not afraid anymore. I'm still worried. 
but I'm not afraid. God told me the plane has taken off. <laughs> and they are a-okay. Ring-a-ding-a-ding-dang, she said. <laughs> and she, she's, a, she's a storyteller for sure. But I don't think she was telling me a story that time. I believe that God actually told her, the plane has taken off, your parents are a-okay. And I'm not sure if he didn't say ring-a-ding-a-ding then, because that's how Cooper talks. <laughs> and about 1 o'clock in the morning, in comes Dale and Jana. And, and I had told Jana, I said, now remember when we go to church or when you and Mom go to church tomorrow, you remember to thank James for praying. And the first thing she did when she flew into her mom's arms was say, thank you, James. And I, I know Jesus knows that she was thanking him too. Anyway, I just thought that was too good not to share. The faith of a child, right? Yeah. Yeah. More faith than her grandma. Thank God. You know, it's not a small, I know sometimes we don't think about it, but it's not a small miracle for, first of all, for God to keep somebody safe. That's, that's awesome, right? But it's not a small miracle either for God to comfort a child who's, in a place of extreme fear. I mean, think about it. You've had kids before, they get an idea in their head, and uh, once they get that in their head, you know, if they're afraid, sometimes it's tough to get, get that out of it. And for that child to be able to go to the Lord, not be talked out of it by an adult who says, it's a silly fear, you're being stupid. Wrong way to talk to your kids, first of all, but not being talked out of it, but God comforting that child right there, that's amazing. And I, I think that that is genuine, first of all, that God would, would take care and listen to the prayer of that child. But I, I think just as you pointed out, that, that she was able to walk away saying, I'm not afraid anymore. That's a miracle. That's an amazing miracle. Because I, I don't know about you, but, you know, kids don't just calm themselves down like that over things like that. For, for God to comfort that child's heart and strengthen her faith, I think is a wonderful thing. I think it's why it's so important that you teach your children how great our God is and you teach them the word. You know, when I was a, a young one, I knew Psalm 91 very well. I, I, I knew Psalm 23. We knew the Lord was our protector, our, our shepherd, our, the one who kept us. If we dwelled in the shadow of his wings, what do we have to fear? And uh, boy, there were times where we needed that. There were times where we needed to rely on that. And thank God that uh, your kids are never too young to trust in God. In fact, Jesus said, you want to go into the kingdom, you got to be more like them. And so that simple faith of a child is what we're all looking for. It's, thank God we're being mature and we're getting wiser, but we can't lose that faith of a child, that simple trust. Like your kid, when they look at you, they're not worrying, they shouldn't be worrying day to day whether or not they're going to have a place to stay tonight, whether they're going to have something to eat today. They look at you and they just figure you're going to handle it, right? They figure you're going to take care of it. That's the way God wants us to look at him, just knowing he's going to take care of it. As Jesus said, what, stop worrying about what you're going to eat, where are you going to stay, what you're going to wear. Don't you know the Gentiles spend all their lives worrying about this stuff, but your Father knows that you need these things, and it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So that's our Father, and I want us to trust him like, like kids trust him, and kids trust us, all right? So let's open our Bibles today. I want you to open them to the book of Colossians. Love the book of Colossians. What a great letter. I know I say that every time we open our Bibles, but I really do like this one. And uh, 
truth is, really like all of it. So every time we open it, I'm going to say that in some form or another. But if we open our Bibles to Colossians, we're going to talk a little bit today um, about, you know, how do I phrase this? The reason I get up here and preach, the reason you go and encourage somebody, the reason we minister to one another, the reason uh, there's teaching, there's reason, there's encouragement. Uh, Why do we spend all our time? Why would a guy spend his life, like Paul, spend his life not only winning people to Jesus, but but sticking with them and, and going through their stuff? I don't mean going through this stuff, like rummaging through this stuff, but when they're going through stuff, he's going it through, them with, through it with them. He's, he's journeying with them. He's, he's struggling with them. He's fighting at times. And so why would somebody give their life for this? Why would somebody work so hard? Why would somebody spend their life for these people? And, and I want you to see in the scripture why. And first and foremost, it's because Jesus loves you. And if Jesus loves you, then I love you. And we love each other. But that's, that love drives us. The apostle Paul said the love of Christ compares tells me. But we want to talk about Christ being formed in you, Christ being perfected in you, Christ becoming bigger in you than he is right now. Let me just say, Jesus can't be any bigger than he is. God can't get bigger than he is. He's bigger than you can imagine. But can he play a bigger part in your life than he is right now? The answer doesn't lie in you just expecting, well, if God wants to play a bigger part, he'll play a bigger part, because that's not how the scripture plays out. The way the scripture plays out, the way Jesus taught us, and the way the apostles after taught us, is that you have a part to play. You can give him the space, or you can shut down. Jesus said, the, the nature of your heart, the condition of your heart determines a lot. If you give him room, he'll take the room. If you let him move, he'll move. If you, if you really surrender everything to him, watch what he can do with it. Look in Colossians chapter 1. Life is so much more than we've been convinced to believe. Life is so much more than the world knows. Life is so much more than you might have thought. In fact, Christian life is probably more than you thought. And you know, if you've gotten to the point where being born again was once exciting and then it got to be a, a, just a list of things you did and a list of things you didn't do. My prayer for you is that you'd be revived on the inside. You would come to realize that's not what it's about at all, but you would you'd fall in love again with Jesus. You'd get excited. You'd be revived. You'd come alive again. You'd wake up from your slumber and you'd realize that this life is what we were created for. Colossians chapter 1. Man, I wish we had time to read the whole chapter. But we don't, so we're going to start a little bit later. He says, he says in verse 25, of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. Today we're going to talk a little bit about why ministers minister. The point's really not the ministers. The point is, is, is what's, what's the whole goal of all this time that we're spending together? What's the goal of somebody in our life trying to teach us and encourage us? Here he says, I was made a minister. I didn't, I didn't make myself a minister. The Lord made me a minister, and he trusted me with something. A stewardship means you've been entrusted with something, and God wants you to do something with it. Remember, in, the, in Jesus' teachings, the guy who was given something and did nothing with it because he was afraid he was going to mess it up, that guy got in big trouble. 
Because he hid what God gave him in the, in the sand. He hid it under the ground because he didn't want to mess it up. He didn't want to lose it. A lot of us have gifts on the inside of us, but we're so afraid we're going to mess them up that we don't use them at all. And in fact, those are the people that got in trouble. Not the, not the guy who took a big risk and failed. No, the guy, that, the guy that Jesus calls out is the guy that's too afraid to take a step because he's thinking he's going to mess it up. So he hides his talents. He hides what the Lord has given him under the ground. And he says, you know what? I'll give you back what you gave to me. And the Lord said to him, no. He said, you, you, you could have at least put it in a bank and it would have at least got interest. You didn't do anything with what I gave you. So here he says, I was made a minister. I was entrusted with a stewardship from God. It was bestowed on me, but it was for you. Ministry is never, God never gives somebody a gift for them. Do you know what I mean? God doesn't put you in a position for you. He puts you in a position for somebody else. The apostle Paul did not become an apostle for, the, for his own sake. He didn't become a minister for his own sake. He said, what was given to me was given to me for you. And he says, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That's a great calling. And in verse 26, he says this. That is, what is, what is the preaching he had to, to carry out? It sa- he says it here. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested, in other words, uncovered, revealed to his saints. Don't you think at this point in the letter, you're perking your ears up if you're, the, if you're the church in Colossae? If we're here right now, we should be perking our ears up. He just said, there's a mystery that's been hidden every generation before now. Ages past, nobody's ever known about this. But it's been revealed to the saints. I'd say what he's about to say next is a big deal. He says in verse 27, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery amongst the Gentiles, which is, here's the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Everything I've been given to pour out to you, everything I've been given to teach you, to help you, to guide you, he says, it's all because of this, because I want you to, uh, to realize and recognize that you, even as Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles alike, here's the mystery, here's the thing that I've got to get to you. It's Christ in you. He's your hope of glory. Not Christ simply with us, Although he is with us, right? But you know, Jesus doesn't just, and he walks with me and he talks with me. He does do that. Thank God for that. That's a great song. But he's also in you. Christ in us. The hope of glory. Now, this is what makes us different. What makes us different is not the style of our church services. What makes us different is not our buildings. What makes us different is not the the, the songs we sing or the way we do things. What makes us different is that we are not simply following a religion. We believe that the very same spirit that was in Jesus Christ has now been given to us. And we don't just worship a distant God, but we are filled with him. That you've been made alive by him coming into your life. And not just being your co-pilot, but truly being the driving force and the wellspring of life within you. He says this, Christ is in you, it's the hope of glory. Verse 28, we proclaim him. Who do we proclaim? Christ, we proclaim Christ Jesus. We proclaim him. We tell everybody about him. 
admonishing every man. Now, see, in the next verses we're going to read, he's going to use the word man, but I want you to know when he uses the word man here, he's, he's using it like we say mankind. He's not talking about males, he's talking about humans, okay? So if I could change it for you just so nobody feels left out here. We admonish every person and teaching every person with all wisdom. You ever wonder why you sit through some guy talking to you for 40 minutes, an hour, half an hour, hour and 20? Tracy Harris is here all night. You ever wonder why you sit through that? You ever say, oh, I like the music. I like the talking afterwards. I wish we could get past this part. You'd never say that directly to me. I understand that. What's the point? What's the point? Admonishing. What's the point of teaching? It says, the reason we do this, we proclaim Jesus. We admonish every person. We teach every person with all wisdom. Here's why. So that we might present every person complete in Christ. That's the goal. Is that we would be able to present every person and say, all right, you're complete in Christ. Now, there are two forms of completion that we see in the Scripture when it comes to who we are in Christ. First of all, who you are in the Spirit. You've been made brand new. You've been made perfect in His image. And who you are, what you are, is now bleeding into how you live and how you walk and what you do. And so, in Galatians, he says... This is the reason. He said, very similar to this. He says, for this reason I labor. And the word labor is, is just what it sounds like. In the Greek, it's the same word that you'd use when a, when a woman would go into labor. For this reason I labor, I, I, I'm, I'm giving birth in a sense. For this reason, this is why I'm laboring and striving. He says that Christ may be formed in you. Christ may be formed in you. Now, stop, because some of you just, you said, yeah, I don't really get that, and you just skipped over. You know how that is, right? Somebody says something, you go, I've heard that before, I have no idea what it means, skip again. <laughs> what does it mean that Christ would be formed in you? We know we've got Jesus living on the inside of us, right? right. Jesus in me is bubbling over. You guys didn't go to Children's Church in the 80s? No? Just me? All right. <laughs> I know a bunch of songs that have no relevance to my life anymore, but I knew them now. That Jesus in me, this is, this is what's changed everything, is that Christ is in you. But he says, now we know Christ is already in you. Jesus is already in you. He's not going anywhere. So then why in Galatians does Paul say, I'm laboring that Christ may be formed in you? What's the difference between Jesus being in you and Christ being formed in you? I believe first and foremost, you need to know Christ is in me. He's the hope of glory. Not going anywhere. He's there. He said he'll never leave me or forsake me. He's in me. But what does it mean for Christ to be formed in you? I believe that what this has to do with is that Christ in you would begin to take over the other parts of yourself. That, that those places where some part of you still has control and you're still doing your own thing and you're doing it the way you want to do it, that more and more, Christ himself, who he is, becomes who we are. That we begin to see our life, as it says in Colossians as well, it says in Colossians 3, our life is hidden in Christ. And we want you to think about what it means for a life to be hidden in Christ. 
What does it mean for your life to be hidden in Christ? That means that you can't find you without looking at Jesus. That your life couldn't be separated from his life. Some may call that obsessed. Sure, I'm good with that. That your life is so wrapped up in who he is and defined by who he is that he might be able to say, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Your life is now hidden in him. And he says, when Jesus is revealed, they'll understand us. They'll see us for, we'll see ourselves for who we really are. I work, he, Paul says in Galatians, I'll say it again. He says, I, this is what I'm working for. I work, this is why I spend my life for this. That I could be able to say that Christ is formed in you. That Christ is formed in you, that you know him, you know the power of his resurrection. That your life is beginning to being shaped around who he is. Colossians 3, if you were to keep reading, says, says, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. And it's talking about the church. The message paraphrases it like this. Everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. You think about what it means to be defined by Christ. I imagine if you're going to be defined by him, there's an identity you're going to have to lose, right? Right? Anybody still here? Yep. If you say your identity is in him, your identity can't be in him and in something else at the same time. Your identity being in him, you got to lay one identity down, you got to pick another identity up. Because the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So you can't just be living two lives. So if my life is hidden in him, if my life is wrapped up in who he is, that's my identity. Now, here's the cool thing. That doesn't turn us into a bunch of mindless clones. It doesn't mean we're all going to get all Stepford on each other and just be, just be, you know, walking like you can't tell any of us apart. Because the wonderful thing about the grace of God and the power of God is that it's different in each and every one of us. There are some things that are the same, but Peter writes... And he calls it, in the New American Standard, it says the manifold grace of God. The Greek word is pikolos, which means multicolored, multi-shaped, multifaceted. Which means whatever God has made you to be is going to look different than, the, than your neighbor next to you. It's going to look different than your pastor. It's going to look different than your friends. It's going to do, look different than, your, than the other people in your family. You're going to be unique. And you all know that, right? You're unique. God gave you unique gifts. But you will be defined in him. In other words, we're, we're unique. But when we're defined by him and we're wrapped up in him, we're hidden in Christ. Our uniqueness serves a purpose. We're not just unique for the sake of being unique. You've met these people, right? We all know that person that's just spending, just doing everything they can just so they're different from everybody else. Or there's whole culture groups. We all do this. Every time there's a countercultural movement where we say we want to be different, man, you guys are just following the man. You're under the system, bro. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to be unique. We're not going to, I mean, we're not going to go into your mindless, you know, just drone lifestyle, dude. We're going to be different. And then they all dress exactly the same. <laughs> right? I'm a nonconformist who must conform to this. <laughs> 
People spend their lives trying to be unique for, the, for no other purpose than just being unique. Your uniqueness has a, has a purpose. I look at the fingers on my hand. You know, there's a reason they're different sizes. The reason that, there's a reason the thumb is like the, the oddball in the group. It's the weirdo that just doesn't fit in with the rest of them. But what would your life be without that thumb? I mean, many scientists would say that's what separates us from many of the beasts is we've got opposable thumbs. They really help when you're picking things up. So maybe you're the thumb in the body of Christ and you just don't fit in with anybody. But we couldn't get by without you. Thank God you're different. Because what would my hand look like if I had another middle finger right here instead of a thumb? It'd look weird and it wouldn't function as well. So your uniqueness serves a purpose. That's what's different about being unique in him is that you're unique, but you're part of his body and he causes every piece to fit together. So in our uniqueness, we find unity rather than disunity. But our life is defined by him. We're not defined by how different we are. We're defined by who he is. And so we find definition in that. We find definition in each other. And here he says, my goal, that this is the reason I've been preaching this, that I might present you complete, complete in Christ. If we kept reading, you know, there, there, were, no, uh, there were no chapters when this letter was written. It's just a letter, right? We added the chapters so you could look something up quickly, but there's no chapters, there's no real breaks. He says that we might present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor. There he uses that word again. Striving. Now, we've been taught that we are to rest in Christ, right? So what about these words, labor and striving? Well, listen to what he says. I labor and I strive according to his power. The difference is, God doesn't want you to just be lazy. God doesn't want you to just stop. You're still going to labor. You're still going to strive, but you're not going to do it in your own strength anymore. You're now striving according to, not, not, not supplemented by his power, but fully according to his power. The Lord's, the Lord's strength that he has for you is not a vitamin supplement. It's not a boost it's not, it's not when, when I can't take any more and I can't go one more step that I reach out for Jesus and he gives me a little strength. No, he's supposed to be all the strength we were using to start with. That's it. It's not your, he's not your last ditch attempt. He's not, he's not, I need help. Jesus, take the wheel. Now he's it the whole time. And so here it says, I labor. This is why I labor. Why? that I might present you complete in Christ. I tell you, every pastor worth their salt, every apostle, every evangelist, everybody that's ever going to minister to you, if they're, if they're worth anything, if they've got their head on straight, here's why they're doing it, that they might present you complete in Christ. Not, not so a church can grow, not so more money can be raised for missions, although that's great. Not so that their ministry can come bigger, because who cares? The whole point is that you'd have a group of people that you can present to God and say, hey, this person started out with nothing, and now they're complete in Christ. They've grown. Something's changed in them. They've recognized that everything they need is in him.
areas that they were lacking, and they've come up in those areas. That's why you need admonishment and teaching. The areas that you're lacking, God's got that for you. And as you begin to grow, he says, I labor, for this is why I labor. I strive according to his power, which mightily works within me. He doesn't say according to his power, which, you know, is, is intermittent inside of me. According to his power, which flicks on and off, has a few brownouts. He says, according to his power, which mightily works within me. He means he, I've got more power than I need. Why? Because this is what, he says, this isn't just his heart. This is the heart of God, that you would be complete in him. That you'd grow from a baby to a mature person in Christ. As we keep reading in chapter 2, it says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. Do you see this? Words like labor, strive, struggle. Those aren't fun words. It's not why you join. I didn't sign up for this. But you see, it's all worth it. All of his struggle, all of his labor, all of his striving, all the stuff he had to go through, all the junk he had to put up with, it's all worth it. If I can put somebody up and say, look, they've grown. They've become complete. They know who they are. They didn't know who they were, but now they do, and they're complete in him. Now, first and foremost, let me tell you, the scripture says in this very book, it says that in Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in bodily form. And it says that, that Christ was full of everything that God was. And in him, you have, past tense, been made full. In the New American Standard, it says, you have been made complete. So there's something that's already taken place in you that's made you everything you need to be. It's all there. You don't need to ask God for more. He's already given you all of it. But the teaching, the admonishment, the labor, the striving is so that you would grow into a place that you would know who you are and that you would recognize it and that you would be formed into the image of Christ. Your spirit already is in his image, but that the rest of your life would begin to be shaped around him. Your emotions would begin to echo the heart of God. Your will would conform to his will. Your instinctive reactions, instead, when somebody, when somebody just ticks you off, instead of your instinct being to slug him in the face, that Christ would be formed in you. You see, Christ being formed in us does not always occur at the moments where everything's peaceful and somebody's playing on the harp and, and somebody's got a nice keyboard, warm pads going on, and it sounds beautiful and there's peace and there's nothing wrong. The, the times I found that Christ has been really, really formed in me more and more are in those times where I've been forced to choose his way rather than my own way. And in that, I find I'm starting to look more like him. My instincts are starting to be more like his instincts. And that's a lifetime and a lifestyle. I want you to know you can't work your way to this point. Everything you need has already been granted to you. Everything you need has already been given to you. But will you walk in it? Will you rely on it? Will you pull it out? This is what he says. I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. And for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love. See, a mature person in Christ 
is defined by the love of God. It says their hearts are being knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth. He's not talking about money here. He's talking about something much bigger than that. He's talking, do you realize the wealth just the greatness, the amazing uh, 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 richness of everything that he's given you in Christ, of who you are, of your spirit being made alive. He says, I want you to know, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. Now, maybe that, that's a lot of words. Maybe that got lost on you and you just kind of phased out. I want you to stop and think about this. He's saying, I wish you could know how big this is. I wish you could know how amazing this is. Everything that Christ has in himself and in you, for you. I wish you knew how amazing it is that Christ is in you. This is not just some religious thing, that this is something that changes our life forever. The unfortunate thing is so many people live their life with that part of them on mute most of the time. With that part of them carefully compartmentalized into a corner of your life. This is where Jesus is. And when I show up at church on Sunday, this is the corner that I show everybody. Hey, come over here, look at my Jesus corner. I got Jesus trophies. I got Jesus pictures. It's painted a Jesus color. And we bring everybody to this corner. And we say, let's hang out in the Jesus corner. It's Sunday. It's Sunday in the Jesus corner. And they start to wander to another corner. You go, come back here. Jesus corner. Because you don't want church people to know there's other corners. But Jesus wants to be in every space. And I want to tell you, why isn't he? He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Couldn't he just do whatever he wants to do? Absolutely, he could. But he has chosen to give you free will. To make room in your hearts. Oh, I love the song Joy to the World. I say this, like I, I need to remind you in July that I like Joy to the World. You need to know I'm about a month away from queuing up my Christmas music list, okay? So, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. You give God room, he'll take the space. Watch what he does with it. It says this, I want you to know all the wealth that comes from the full assurance. You mean you don't have any doubt that an, an understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, so that that full assurance that Jesus is in me, there's a wealth of stuff that comes with that. Once you recognize Christ is in you, once you let that shape your life and shape your decisions and shape how you, how you think and shape how you're going to pray and shape how you're going to lay hands on the sick, once you realize that Jesus is in you, he says there's a wealth of stuff that comes with the assurance of that. Not doubting, are you with me right now? You probably left me because I did that. I thought this. No, knowing that he's in you changes everything. Amen. Knowing that Jesus is alive and he's alive in us, that changes everything. It's no longer just a, a little philosophy club we belong to. It's not just a little group, a social club that we meet together and we say, isn't it nice when we sing these little songs? But we recognize that Jesus is alive in us, that we are his vessels. And watch what it says in verse 3. 
in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. You could look everywhere else, but everything is hidden in him. You know, he was writing this at a time where Gnosticism was a big part, challenging the church. It was a segment of belief that sort of echoed Christianity but had some major flaws. The way they looked at Jesus was really wrong. What they really valued, as well as things like, you know, believing that uh, spirit was inherently good and your flesh would always be evil and, and, and uh, believing that, that Jesus was not truly God come in the flesh, all of these things, they also really emphasized Gnosticism itself comes from the Greek word for gnosis, which means knowledge. And Gnosticism was all, was all based on the thought of having this secret knowledge that this is the next level stuff, guys. What it doesn't tell you here, we know. We got this information. So you have people that are looking for something more, looking for something more, looking for something to tickle their brain. And the Gnostics come along and say, we got it. We know secret things not everybody knows. Come join our club. He says, don't you know all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him? They're all hidden in Christ. That's 1 John. 1 John's also um, really dealing with this same issue. And John says, you guys don't need special teachers that teach you special stuff. You still need teachers. He doesn't say you don't need teachers at all. But he's saying, you know what? The anointing that lives in you is able to teach you everything. You don't need somebody to come along and say, I got secret stuff. <laughs> don't you know that in him, first of all, your life's hidden in him. And in him's all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Here's the thing. Here's the point. Here's why we labor and strive. That your life would begin to be wrapped up in everything that he is. That everything you need, you'd start to look for in Jesus. Everything you want to know, you'd start to look for in him. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You notice how much he's using wealth, treasures, riches. And once again, he's not talking about gold and silver and dollar bills. He's talking about something much bigger than that, something that will last for eternity. He says, don't you know how big this is? And we settle for so little when we could have so much in him. We could be completely wrapped up in him. We settle for little doses of Jesus when we can have the whole thing. We get inoculated. We get vaccinated with Jesus, a little touch, when we could have the whole thing. You know, um, sometimes the folks in Loon Lake, every now and then have to put up with a couple of my stories on the way home. Not often, right? I mean, most of them, you know, headphones are on, we're okay. But sometimes when we're driving back, the team's driving back from Loon Lake, every now and then, I can't hold it in. I got to tell a, a story, a, his, a story from history or something. And one that we were talking about recently is just a hilarious piece of history for me. Any history fans in the room? Sort of? Yeah? All right. For the rest of you, bear it. Just, just grit your teeth and bear it. Um, anybody know who Caligula was? Don't rent the movie. Please do not rent the movie. <laughs> 
that is a mistake you will regret for the rest of your life. I've never rented the movie. I just know it. No, don't rent the movie. No, Caligula uh, was one of the emperors of Rome. He was a, he was a terrible emperor. They, they had a lot of terrible ones, didn't they? Just a complete nut bar. Crazy. Just, just. Um, he'd been through a lot as a kid. He'd been through a lot as a teenager. and It really messed him up. And uh, he started to think he was God and all this other stuff. But Caligula, uh, Julius Caesar had gone and, and uh, made some uh, invasions into Britain and uh, done, you know, made, you know, made some treaties and then went home. And, and Britain still was relatively free from the Romans. So Caligula <clears throat> took some troops up there and he was going to conquer Britain. As you know, Britain is an island, Right. Now, the Romans, they'd crossed seas before, but it was always the Mediterranean Sea. So they believed the god of the sea was Neptune, and they were familiar with Neptune. Neptune was not the god of all the seas, but he was a god of Mediterranean Sea to them. When they got up to crossing the channel into Britain, they believed that there... Now, everybody here knows there was no real god of the... There's only one god, right? So if I keep talking, you know that, right? But they thought that Neptune was a god of the Mediterranean Sea, but the god of the ocean was a much older ancient god named Oceanus, who was a titan and who even, even refused to take part in the, in, the, in the war of the titans. And they were afraid of this god. They didn't know much about him. They were freaked out. And so when they got to the ocean, Caligula took all his troops, the might of Rome, to go conquer Britain. He takes them to the ocean. He takes them to the English Channel, ready to cross. Takes them all the way through Gaul up to the Channel, and they're going to cross this ocean to get there. And he gives his, his, uh, his, his trumpet guy the command to sound the, sound the, sound the order so that they will march ahead and board these these. these sea crafts and, and so we can cross and we can land. So get everybody on the ships. I'll give the order. Da, da, da. Nobody moves. Try it again. Maybe they didn't hear it. Da, da, da. Well, first of all, like I said, Caligula was a total nut bar. So they were already suspicious of him. Second of all, they were freaked out. They thought there'd be monsters over there. We're not going over there. That's the end of the world. Third, that is an old God we don't know anything about. We're not messing with him. So they weren't going. Nobody was getting on the ship. So Caligula says, he's got a safe face, right? He doesn't want to go back to Rome and say, my troops didn't believe in me. So he goes back, he goes to his troops and he says, aha, this is what we've come to do. Troops, collect seashells. And these hardened Roman soldiers who trained for battle and to conquer nations began to go along the beach picking up nice pretty shells. Caligula comes home to Rome in triumph. I've conquered the beach. We've brought home seashells. Trying to save face, because, you know, you can't just go home and say they didn't listen to me. So we, we came, what we, 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 we went, we came, we saw, we conquered. Vini, vidi, vici. We came, we got shells, we came home. Triumph. Now you think how disappointing that is. You want to cross into this new land. You can cross the ocean. You're going to conquer an island. But you settle for gathering some shells and taking them home. Sometimes I think that's what we're doing when we get just these little nuggets. Hey, let me go to church and just get a little nugget. I hope he doesn't preach too long. One verse and then a bunch of cool stories. Maybe a skip, maybe a video. A video! <laughs> we just got that little nugget. 
You ever heard the sermons? Now, I'm not a perfect preacher by any means, but you ever heard the sermons where it's like the scripture was just mainly a jumping off point to get to the video they really wanted to show? <laughs> I'm not against videos. Videos are cool. I like videos. But, you know, the scripture is just kind of to get to the prop I got on the stage. I like the whole scripture was just used to get there. To me, that's like we're going to, the, we're going to conquer a nation and we end up going home with seashells. We could have had so much more. He says, in him, don't you realize all that's in him? Why are you settling for little nuggets? Why would you settle for, for little bits and pieces? Don't you know everything that you ever could ever need is hidden in him? Everything you ever needed to know is hidden in him. Everything you needed to be is hidden in him. If you would only allow yourself to be formed into his image and you allow him to be formed in you. The Apostle Paul writes, it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who loved me, the terrorist, who loved me, the sinner, who loved me, the self-righteous criminal, who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is what he says. It's no longer Paul that lives. It's Christ that lives in me. Could we come to the place where we say it's no longer Jonathan lives, it's no longer Eric, it's no longer Kaylee, it's no longer Jane, it's no longer I that lives. It's Christ that lives in me. He's my life. My life is hidden in him. Because I'll tell you, this is the whole reason. This is the whole reason we ever preach. This is the whole point of getting up in the morning. This is why we come to, this is why I show up. Now I show up to worship God. But this is why I put a microphone up and get up here so that my friends and my brothers and sisters might be presented complete in Christ. That Christ, we work, we strive according to his power, not according to our own. So that Christ may be formed in you. So that when you have that opportunity, so that when you have those, those moments of shifting and of change, where your instinct before would have been to go in a complete different direction, where everything in you says, do this. Instead, you now know who you are in Christ. And Christ in those moments is formed in us more than he ever is. When we recognize it's not me that lives anymore. I died. I, I'm dead. But I'm also more alive than I've ever been. Paul writes to Timothy. I'll wrap it up with this thought. He says this. In fact, I'll get you to turn there if you would. Second Timothy. Isn't it good to be complete? Isn't it good to know you got everything you need in him? Thank God. Second Timothy four. Actually, 2 Timothy 3, let's start there. 2 Timothy 3.16, you'll know this is very, very famous, very vital scripture. 
It says all scripture is inspired by God. Inspired by God doesn't just mean inspired by a true story. You know, it's not just like a, you know, I was thinking of this and it reminded me of this, so I wrote a story about cats. This is inspired means literally in the Greek, God breathed. All scripture is breathed by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Verse 17. So that the man of God or the woman of God may be adequate. (laughs) Now that word just lost all its juice in our current language, doesn't it? Nobody says, I'm adequate. (laughs) You don't raise your kids to sing songs, I'm adequate, I'm adequate. Thank God I'm adequate. You don't, you know, that's not exciting. You don't put that on your resume. Adequate. (laughs) But in reality, what it means, it's interesting, the, the, the original Greek actually could be translated complete. You got everything you need. So that the man or woman of God may be complete, adequate, like you got everything. You're not lacking anything. Equipped for every good work. This is why we teach. This is why we hear the word. This is why we encourage one another. So that you'd get to the place where you'd realize everything you need, he's already given you. He's already granted to you. So you'd be fully equipped. You'd be complete. You'd be formed. He'd be formed in you. And so that it doesn't matter what comes along, you're ready for everything. You're equipped for everything that God's ever called you to. But this is worth everything. It's worth our labor, it's worth our striving that we could bring people to the place where they'd say, I'm complete in him. Christ is being formed in me. It's worth it. That your life would be so wrapped up in Jesus that you'd say, if you want to know me, you got to know him. If you don't know him, you won't understand me. Some of you getting to that place now where you're saying, you really, you really don't get me, do you? No, I don't get you, you're weird. You want to get me, you'd have to know him. Because I'm wrapped up in who he is. That's, that's everything. The Apostle Paul said, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then we will be revealed with him in glory. <laughs> when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you're fully going to see us. Because our life is hidden in him. It's completely wrapped up in him. And I wish, wish is the wrong word. My earnest hope is that everybody here would get to the place where you realize it's a big deal that you have Christ in you. It's a big deal that everything you need, he's already given you. It's a big deal that you realize that more and more, if you'll let him, he be formed in you. To begin to be wrapped up into his image. Because the world needs Jesus. The world doesn't just need more nice people. Nice people are nice, but nice people rarely change big things. Now, you're, you're still nice. You guys are nice, right? You're not, not nice, but you're not just simply nice. The world doesn't just need more nice people. The world needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus. The world does not need Jesus coming back in bodily form, walking in Galilee, because the world could not be reached just by that man. 
Jesus says, it's better for you if I go away. Because if I go away, I'm sending my spirit to each and every one of you. See, Jesus is walking the earth right now through you and me and just millions and millions of other people all over the planet. Will you let Jesus be Jesus? Will you really let him be Jesus in you? What could happen? What if Jesus took a job on the rigs? Seriously. What do you think that would look like? Well, Jesus would never take a job in the rigs. Absolutely, why not, right? Did you take a job in the rigs? Some of you did. If you did, then Jesus is on the rigs. Start thinking what it would look like if Jesus was working the rigs. Because that's what it's supposed to look like with you working the rigs. What if Jesus were doing construction around Lloyd? Would he cut corners? No. Would somebody be pretty glad that he was working? Yeah. So Jesus is working construction in Lloyd. Do you know that? Jesus is doing concrete. Jesus is working at the grocery store. Jesus is working in the hospitals. Oh, the hospitals that need Jesus. Jesus is in the hospitals. Because we got doctors and nurses with Jesus in them. Now, what would be different? You need to think about this for your job. What would it look like if Jesus had my job? How would he handle it? Because he does have your job. He's in you. And most of the reason it doesn't look like what you think it looked like if he was working is because you haven't really let him be Jesus inside. You've, you've kind of given him a part, but you haven't given him the whole thing. He wants to be formed in you so much that people would say, I saw Jesus today. I saw Jesus at the hospital. I saw Jesus on the rigs. I saw Jesus at the swimming pool. I saw Jesus. Because this person clearly was different. They don't have to see any, a Hebrew guy with a big beard. They can see a man, a woman, a child. Somebody that's letting Jesus live through them. See, that's the goal. That you let Jesus live through you. And when you do that, you're more alive than you've ever been before. This is what we were created for. Because see, Jesus doesn't take over you and your eyes roll back in the back of your head and you walk around in a trance just, you know. No, that's not how he does it. He does it in fellowship with you. He does it in union with you. So you're fully part of this. Scripture says in working together with him. Working together with him. What would life be like if Jesus we're working at our jobs if Jesus were doing what we're doing because he is. Jesus is alive. That's the coolest phrase I've ever heard is Jesus is alive. It doesn't get old, does it? Jesus is alive. And the way he's not just alive in the sense that he's alive, but he's in heaven. Jesus is alive in you and me. He's alive. The world did not miss out. Do you ever think, boy, I wish I was around in the Middle East, in AD 31, 32, 33. I wish I was around when Jesus was walking the earth. Anybody ever think that? I have. Boy, I wish I could have seen it. Here's the deal. You're alive in the age where Jesus is walking the earth. You get to see it. You get to experience it. <laughs> I was just thinking. You, those of you who have been with us while we've been reading the book of Acts, been thinking about how... Peter talks to this man, Aeneas. He says, Aeneas, get up. Aeneas is lame. 
Gnaeus, Jesus Christ heals you. Jesus Christ heals you. Well, Peter, what do you mean Jesus Christ heals me? I missed my chance. When Jesus was walking the earth, I should have, I should have gone to see him. He could have healed me, but I missed it. This man was paralyzed for eight years. That means he was paralyzed while Jesus was walking the earth. Can you imagine how that man must have felt when he heard about Jesus? That man, when he first heard about Jesus, surely would have thought, oh, if I had only been around, if I had only known about this guy, I could have had somebody take me to Galilee. I could have had somebody take me there. If I had only known, if somebody had only told me, oh, I missed my chance. I missed the three-year window. Peter says, Aeneas, get up. Jesus heals you. How did Jesus heal him? Through Peter. That guy didn't miss Jesus. He might have missed the three-year window where Jesus was walking in a physical body. One man in Galilee. One man walking in Judea. One man. But he didn't miss Jesus. Because Jesus is in Peter. And Jesus is in you and Jesus is in me. Do you have the confidence of that? Because that's the mystery. That's the greatest truth that's been preached since the beginning of time is that Christ is now in us, the hope of glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. And he's going to have his glory in the church, isn't he? He's going to be glorified in us. And Lord Minister is going to get to know Jesus. Whether they like it or not, they're going to get to know him because he's working on their bathrooms, because he's serving them food, because Jesus is going to run into them at the gas station because Lord Minster is seeing Jesus in you and me. They better see it. And this is why we preach. This is why you get up and, and study and pray and get up with a microphone so that somebody would be formed somebody could say I'm complete in Christ so that that Christ would be formed in you it's worth it all it's worth all the junk you got to put up with it's worth the sleepless nights it's worth all the driving it's worth everything if one person can say I become complete in him everything I need is in him I'm complete I'm adequate I'm equipped for every good work because everything I need is in him and my life it's hidden inside of him Amen? amen stand up with me